Stay hungry, stay foolish. Most of us struggle with our attention, but more importantly is that we struggle to improve that intention. Today's guest has taken that challenge head on and written a great book and online program to boost our attention, focus, and concentration. We welcome author of Laser Sharp Focus and No Fluff Guide to Improved Concentration, Maximized Productivity, and Fast Track to Success, and founder of Shapeshifters Club. Welcome to the show. Joanna Jast. Hello, and thank you very much for inviting me, Aidan. I hope that this show is going to be of help to your listeners. I'd love to, before we start, understand first, what is focus? Because a lot of people mix up focus, concentration, attention, etc. How would you define focus? These three words are quite similar in meaning, and I often use them interchangeably. And I really don't think it it matters that much how you understand it. But the way I look at it is that focus is actually the outcome of our ability of our efforts to concentrate or to direct our attention. You say in the book, this really resonated with me. There's no silver bullet to this. And, and oftentimes I see people in the gym and they're looking for a fast track to getting in shape. They're looking to dietary things. They're looking to protein shakes. And now you have nootropics and focus med- medication, etc. And people are looking for this silver bullet, but there just is none. I don't think there's a silver bullet, although there are solutions that have been proven to work for most people most of the time. But unfortunately, there's always that one or two person who doesn't seem to respond to what works for other people. And the reasons for that might be multiples. And most often, it's either you the problem you're trying to address, it's not the root cause of it, or the solutions that you have chosen might not address the problem, or it might address the problem, but it might not suit your personality, or it might not work within your current context. I love this about the book because you talk about this quite often is that it's personalized. We live in a personalized world and, and you know, you're, you're New Zealander, so you know how good coaching can be for a team and New Zealand rugby team, the best team in the world, in my opinion. And they were pioneers of personalized training per position, but per person per position. And you talk about this being key in focus and attention training. I totally agree with you. We are living in the times where everything, we, we try to personalize it because we are becoming more and more aware how our own personalities, how our own environment, how it all affects uh, everything we do. In our biology as well, this is very, very important because every time you try to work against your biology, this is just going to be an uphill struggle. And I do believe the better you align your solution with whatever your biology, physiology is, whatever your personality, whatever your your environment is, you're much more likely to achieve success, much more likely because it's going to cost you less effort, it's going to take less time, and it's going to be just easier. So another thing I really like to think about and talk about when whichever sort of goal achievement um, strategy uh, I'm talking about is the return on investment. Okay, I can achieve whatever I want in the world, but is it really worth it? And this is really, for me, it's about looking at the person and their environment and thinking what's the easiest way, the easiest, the fastest way of achieving this particular goal. And Joanna, you talk about Two types of attention as well. This this I found interesting because there's automatic attention and then there's intentional attention. It'd be great to share the difference with our audience. 
So the key difference is that we've been equipped with this automatic attention, and that is as a result of um, evolution. And this is actually, this is an inbuilt warning system, and its purpose is to keep us alive. So anything that screams potential danger needs to be brought to our attention immediately. So we've got this system where any flashing light or um, sound or uh, anything else, and I'm talking about sensations, will be prioritized by our brain. And this this only lasts a few seconds between apparently eight to 12 seconds. And this is the time when we need to make a decision what we're going to do with this um, so there's this flashing light, this, this uh, piece of information that comes in, it's flagged as urgent. What do you want to do with it? And, and this um, a, a short window of a few seconds is for us to make a decision, fight, flight, freeze, or breathe and continue. So this is um, automatic and we can't really do much about it. The way we wired, we can do something about the environment, how much of these uh, our environment sends us. And then the uh, intentional attention is actually our conscious decision, what we want to do with our energy, what we want to do with our focus, what we want to do with our concentration and attention and so, and so forth. And this is the conscious effort to actually pay attention. And by nature, it doesn't last too long. Um, I've seen research talking about 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but the bottom line is it's not as long as we need it most of the time because uh, most of us in um, the modern world, we, we work with our heads, so it's intellectual work. So we need to focus, to concentrate on our task for longer than 10 minutes. It usually takes longer than 10 minutes. Poor children at, at school have to concentrate. The lessons take about 45 to 60 minutes. So the 10 minutes is definitely not enough. 20 minutes is still not enough. This conscious effort can be prolonged, but it takes effort. You've nailed something there that I find really interesting. We live in a world where people say they've less time than ever before. And because of that, they are stressed and they're bringing that stress home to their family. And the reason they're working is to sustain their family. A lot of people, you know, when they're lacking purpose, it's even worse and they feel more stressed. But this is the one of the re reasons I asked you to come on the show is we live in this stress world. People have less time. They don't have time to do what they want to do. But imagine if they had more focus and more attention and they would get their work done at a much faster pace and then actually free up time to do more of what they'd like to do. Yes, that's basically the, the premise behind my book, that being able to do things faster. And it's not just the fact that you do it faster because you focus, because you do it in a focused way, you're less likely to make mistakes. And if you're less likely to make mistakes, obviously you don't have to go back and fix them. So you, this time and effort saving um, exercise actually, uh, it, it's, it works in, in two ways. So one of the things you talk about, Joanna, is diagnosing the problem before you fix it. So understanding the landscape of your inattention or your distraction and understanding that helps you then to fix it and it helps you to come up with a plan. It'd be great to talk to a little bit about that. Um, so this actually um, comes from my uh, my medical background, where if you have to treat an illness, you have to really understand what the nature of the problem is, and di the diagnostic process is very, very important. And, and this is what I've brought to, to the uh, work with people on, on improving their focus. Um, 
I really encourage people to invest time and effort into diagnosing the problem, the, the root cause of your focus problems. And particularly for those who have tried different strategies and failed. And if they feel this is something that's been going on for years, this is even more important because very often we would just focus on what's on the surface and will be just a manifestation, will be just a symptom. And if you address the symptom, you might you might be able to get rid of it for, for, for a period of time, but it will reemerge either in the same form or in a different form. So it's really important to diagnose the problem, the root cause, and actually target the root cause. And when you're talking about targeting the root cause, you talk about focus danger zones. I love this, but you call them focus danger zones. You talk about environment, body, and mind. It'd be great to talk a little bit about that. This is a way in which I, I try to make it a little bit easier and um, easy to understand, but also easier to target. If you think about yourself as, a, as, an, as an environment, so you've got this internal and external environment, and your internal environment will be your body uh, and your mind, and you've got external environment, which is your physical environment, which is also your social environment. I mean, people who are around you. And if you think about focus in all those three or four aspects, then you can automatically see, ah, okay. So in my external physical environment, there'll be, it'll be the way my office is set up, whether or not there are people who come and go and talk all the time. Uh, it might be also uh, my internal environment. It'll be my body. I am uncomfortable uh, sitting at this desk or I am too tired or I, I'm chronically sleep deprived. And this is um, what affects my ability to focus or it might be my emotional state. I am really upset. I'm stressed. I am a little bit too happy to focus on my work. So if you think about of those three zones, um, three focus danger zones, and you sort of start dismantling the problem, this is easier than to see. It will help you to see what the underlying cause of your focus problem is. For example, and this, is, this happens very often, people would say, okay, I get distracted very often. What do you get distracted by? By noise. Okay, where's that noise coming from most often? And the person would say, okay, uh, from outside. You mean like you've got a window open? You have got a window. But why do you have your window open? Uh, because, and this is when it starts, sort of, you start unfolding the problem and getting to the bottom. For example, because it's too hot in the office. Can't you just put your air conditioning on? No, because I've got this co-worker who is very sensitive to co And you start unpicking and you start getting to the bottom of the problem and once you've got the, the the root cause of it you can just sit and think okay so this is the root cause how am i going to address it and this this is the next stage of your journey when you actually think okay what do you think my work what is um because some of the solutions will be like, oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's going to work. But I can't really do it because if I did it, this would upset my coworker. So there are things that are possible but not appropriate. And there are things that are possible and appropriate, but it would just cost you too much to implement because you would have to, for example, um, if you're an introvert, you'd rather not talk to people too much. Or if, if you, you know, all these little things that might make implementation of that chosen solution a little bit too costly. This is where your your system comes in, and you talk about creating a distraction log, and this made total sense. And again, you know, this none of this is criticism of people of of us because we're not taught these things, and and it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring your work forward and show people this because it made makes total sense when you read it. 
but you give a system of how people can first identify. And one of the key steps to that is this distraction log. Um, yes, this is my scientific approach to everything. Okay, let's try to measure. And this is part of the diagnostic process. So you log your focus slip-ups for a number of days. And I recommend um, what I call a one work cycle. So if you work from Monday to Friday, try to do it over those at least those from Monday to Friday. If you work from Monday till Sunday, um, some people do, then include the weekend as well, if it's just the weekend. So this way, try to capture as much relevant data as you can. And relevant, so it's got to be relevant. So capturing your focus problems on weekend, if you work Monday to Friday, it's just not as valuable as doing it over the weekend. But also capture enough data to make, so to make the next steps actually worthwhile. And this is where some of some of my weaknesses, I have used a lot of my weaknesses in setting up the system. So one of my weaknesses, which I actually have turned into a strength, is the fact that I am lazy, okay? And I've already talked about the concept of return on investment, okay? I can, I can do anything in the world, I can achieve anything in the world, not maybe not anything, but a lot of things, but is it really worth my effort? And this is where, where, where I often, when I talk to people about it, when we, when we work on solutions, I say, okay, so what would be the easiest way to address it? So once you've got the logs, what you want to do is you want to address a problem that's actually a big problem. So you look for patterns. I recommend that people look for patterns. You don't want to spend time and energy on trying to fix something that only happens once in a blue moon. You want to really target something that either takes up a lot of your time, a lot of your effort, for, for example, because it happens very often, or something that might happen once a month, but the impact of this problem becomes massive. For example, you miss a deadline and you get a penalty and you get you know, letters from Inland Revenue telling you you haven't f uh, filed your tax return on time and, and things like that. So look at those patterns and try to, to see, because some of those patterns, this is also another thing that's very interesting. So when you look at the distraction log, and the way I, um, I've set it up is that you not only look at the problem, obviously you have to drill down and discover the root cause of your problem, but you also look at little things such as what time of day it is, uh, where were you, who were you with? So little things that we tend to miss that actually might form a pattern because I've had uh, clients who have, you know, distracted. I, I really try hard to work. I get up at five o'clock in the morning. I try to work on my my book and there's always something that distracts me. I, I procrastinate a lot and I look at the, the log and, and I'm just like, it's like screaming at me. I'm saying, are you actually a morning person? And no. All right, then we've got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. And, and this, is, this is what I really encourage people to look at. Look at the pattern. And the patterns are, your pattern might not necessarily be in the nature of the problem. It might be in the time of day or place where you are or, or a million other things, but you look for patterns. So one of the things you talked about there was time of day and w looking for those patterns. But I always see this in the gym where people struggle to go to the gym in the evening and you're kind of going, well, maybe you need to go in the morning and because you have more control over that, but also because you're more motivated and you talk about motivation being a key part of attention training. Oh, the motivation is actually something I can talk <laughs> about forever. And it, I, I 
have avo- I had avoided uh, talking about motivation up until my recent book um, on motivation, which is called Not Another Effing Motivation Book. And it isn't a Not Another Motivation Book. But actually, motivation is a key part because when I first wrote my book, um, Laser Sharp Focus, a lot of people um, I had a, a lot of emails and a lot of conversation about um, actually, okay, I think I seem to be lacking motivation in, in being focused and, and particularly in relation to jobs, people didn't necessarily feel like they wanted to carry on, what, but they felt they were obliged because of family commitments and things like that. So I decided to address that motivation issue head on. And really, more often than not, if you come to me, if you come to me and say, I have a motivation problem, okay, I've tried to work on my focus, or I've tried to work on my exercise routine, this is a, another really, really good one, or I have tried to eat healthily, and I, I start off, it's, it's really good initially, and then I lose motivation. And then I say, listen, if you have been trying to do that for so many years, you have tried 10, 20, 50 solutions, and it has not worked. What it tells me is that you really, really motivated to address this problem. You know that you've got a problem. You are seeking solution. You have even tried these 50 solutions before. Don't tell me you've got a motivation problem because you don't. What you have a problem with, you probably either misunderstood your motivation your, your motivation is either misaligned or you're using it wrong. And this is why we start unpicking the nature of the motivation problem. And what I believe is once you've got it nailed down, once you understand what you're really motivated by, you set up the system. Because I think of um, systems as, as a machine. So if you build a focus system or, or exercise routine, it's a system. So you put all these cocks together. They have to work together nicely, smoothly, with least effort you can make it work with. And then you have to plug it in. Okay. And the source of power is your motivation. So you can choose whatever. Okay. But just make sure that it is a, a sort of um, never-ending supply of power or, or as, as requiring as little recharging as possible. Because if you plug it into the wrong source of motivation, you're going to just keep having power outages and you, you'll have to keep, you know, I need to motivate myself. I need to motivate myself. 45% of people drop New Year's resolutions after only six months and even worse, 30% after two weeks. And I found this incredible. And then when you talked about the reasons behind it being motivation and the two different types of motivation, it made sense once again. And it'd be great to talk about both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and the difference and how they can drive you totally differently. So this is another thing I'm I'm really quite fascinated with. Um, I'm not by no means an expert, and my knowledge is the result of what I've read and my own explorations, my own talking with people, my own working with people. So extrinsic, and, and this is all simplified to, to to help you understand it easier. So extrinsic motivation um, drivers are things like rewards and punishment. So we either uh, go for rewards or try to avoid punishment. And intrinsic motivation drivers are those who those motivations that really sit within us. And um, to simplify things, I quite like the three motivational drivers that are described in Daniel uh, Pink's book, Drive, which is um, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So these are those self-feeding motivational drivers. The The difference in the way these two types of motivation work, so extrinsic motivation 
is not only needs to be enforced by your environment, it also it's not a di- it's not directly plugged into our uh, brain reward system. It's plugged in through our uh, learning. So we learn over the you know childhood and young being young. Uh, we learn to associate praise or money with feeling good and um, embarrassment, shame, um, things like that. So punishment with feeling bad, but we have to learn it. Okay. So this, this isn't a direct plug-in while the intrinsic drivers are directly plugged into, into our brain reward system. So when you look at it, you think, okay, so intrinsic motivation is much better than extrinsic motivation. And in, in many aspects, this is true. So intrinsic motivation is uh, so something that works directly and something that lasts longer. While extrinsic motivation is something that tends to uh, lose its effic- uh, effectiveness after a period of time, and it requires that learning to happen. So if you, by whatever reason, for whatever reason, you, you, you didn't learn that money uh, is a reward, then giving you more money when you're uh, adult, uh, it's not going to make much uh, difference for you. I don't know if, it, if, it, if it's clear. So if you haven't learned to associate this reward or this punishment with whatever it is meant to be associated with, it's less likely to be effective. It's interesting, this one, because I often think about this and I think about parenting and you know the influencers in your life and are they forming that in you are they forming that understanding of motivation because you talk about extrinsic and that could be Aiden go and clean your room you know while intrinsic would be I go my room's messy I'm going to tidy up because therefore I can get better work done and I wonder is it those early patterns in our lives that actually form those have you looked at anything like that my early observations, I can see how cultural differences um, come to play as well. There are cultures where money and praise um, or um, academic success, uh, which is also an extrinsic motivational driver, are more praised than other in other cultures. That, that's really interesting because I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs, and, and you often think their motivation is intrinsic, but often it's a fear of failure or it's a fear or, or it's it's to prove themselves to a doubting parent. And I found that really, really fascinating. I totally agree. It's it's fascinating. And one of the most rewarding parts of my work when I work with uh, people to try and help them set, set up the system is to, it's also most challenging probably not so much for me, for them, it's to admit what they really are driven by, what is what feeds the soul. And then coming to a point where, okay, so this is what it is. We're not judging it, uh, but we're just going to use it. You want to use it as the um, source of power for your for your system. And this is where this is where real magic happens. Because if you if you plug it into something that really feeds your soul, that's the reward that you're going to get. You're going to feel fulfilled no matter how. I mean, okay, so many of us do things to please uh, the, a parent. The parent might be even deceased. It doesn't matter. They live in our head. And if this is something that matters to you, no matter how much I try to tell you, it shouldn't matter. Well, it still matters, okay, unless you go into therapy and work the problem through. So it's really about being non-judgmental, about being honest with yourself and non-judgmental and making a, a decision that's conscious to either use it or not with the consequences. 
That's really interesting because you talked about the voice in your head. So the parent lives on in your head. And you talk also about self-talk and how we can actually talk ourselves into or out of things and how negative self-talk is usually the dominant one. So it is for many people. I find it, I find it actually, this is something I find quite difficult to talk about because it's been ages since I had a problem with, with this. And I find it difficult because it's so personal and it also is quite difficult for people to talk about. Why, why are you having these thoughts about yourself? You, you know, I look at you and you, you're a brilliant person. Why, why are you having these thoughts? So having this sort of conversations with someone, it's, it's, I find it quite challenging um, because they find it quite challenging. And I think this is something that I often tell people, okay, so there are two approaches to it. So if your problem, if the, 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 course, the root cause of your problem seems to be in your head, negative thoughts where usually they you know they 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 thought we are inherited from our parents so this is this critical parent that keeps living on in your in your head okay so you can do two things you can go and address the problem the root cause and it usually is a therapeutic work or so that's a strategy so you address the problem or we can look at using some smart tactics to help you get over it and Tactics don't last long, but but they can help you get over uh, a sticky patch if you have a deadline and you really, really need to focus and you keep having those negative conversations with yourself in your head. Yeah, you're never going to succeed. Nah, you're always late. Then instead of going into therapy, which is going to take time and effort, uh, you can try some little tricks to help you switch, to help you turn it off, to help you forget about it. And there's a lot of tactics. So I, I suggest some tactics in the book, um, such as doing an emotional dump before work. I have also done um, a lot of work with distractions and grounding, where you bring yourself back to here and now and bring yourself back to what you need to do um, in shutting down those voices in your head for, I don't know, however long it, it, it lasts, I don't know, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And even if you have to do it, if you have to repeat it every 10 minutes, then at least you're getting some work done rather than, you know, not doing anything and just, just being in this negative state of mind. So we've identified a lot of the, the issues and a lot of the intrinsic and extrinsic motivations, etc be great to move on to some of the solutions. And one of the things you talk about again in your systematic approach is setting up a focus environment. Yes. So one of the things I have been battling a lot with is the fact that, and I've talked about it earlier, that there are solutions to focus that are well known to be super effective. Um, and one of them is meditation. Meditation is great. It's really an excellent way of improving your focus, of improving your mental health, improving your physical health. It's brilliant. And it, if it works, it's brilliant. But what if it doesn't? So there are a lot of people, there's a lot of people who actually, for whatever reason, meditation, um, they don't find it helpful. Or the results that they get out of it does not justify the effort to have to put in. I'd always say, if you're having focus problems, if you, there's a number of things you can do. And the easiest thing you can do, and again, this is my laziness um, coming to play here, and the easiest thing you can do is to tweak your external, your physical environment, okay? Just, just your office, the way you've got it set up, the way you approach your work, and all these little things external that you can move around to create an environment that will make you do what you want to do. 
some of those tips, Joanna. So, for example, you talk about the workspace, minimizing noise, and they all make sense. Like it's, for example, if I'm trying to go on a diet, I don't have biscuits within arm's reach. I might put them in the attic, for example, and make it difficult to reach them. It'd be great to get a few of those tips off you. Let me just go back to what I said at the beginning. So you need to understand the nature of your problem, okay? If you get um, distracted by noise, look at, obviously, um, if you are unable to address the underlying cause for whatever reason, look at tactics that can help you reduce noise. And this is, again, something I've, I've already talked about. It's that immediate attention. So anything that flashes, anything that makes an a sudden noise will distract you because that's the way you wired, okay? So look at all these notifications, all these flashing lights, um, and, and, and turn it off. So one of the first things, if I happen to work on a new computer, one of the first things I do is I just turn off all the email notifications on, on Outlook because they usually are uh, Windows computers, and, and, and just turn the... Um, Turn, turn the sound off, turn the notification off. And once that's done, I can sit down and look around. Um, so one of those things you can do, you, you, you look at the number of notifications that are around you, just turn them off if you can. For example, for people who work in shared offices, um, there's, there's a lot of things that there's a lot of factors, distractions there. And sometimes what it takes is to look at the way your desk is positioned. Sometimes it is about switching the side of the desk, just turning it around. So, for example, if you're a person who can't stand people walking uh, or standing behind your back and reading over your shoulder, which is something I cannot possibly work with, then just switching it around the way you, uh, your, you've got the wall behind your back, then immediately the amount of anxiety, the amount of this alertness, um, awareness of people being behind your back just lowers. And this way your environment makes it easier for you to focus. So little things like that, the way your desk is standing, whether you've got good lighting. I had, um, I worked in a place once where I had uh, my the window, I, was, I had behind, uh, a window behind my back and uh, from about 11 till 2 p.m., from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m., I had sun shining directly onto my computer screen and causing glare and I was awful. Uh, so I really um, played with the way it was all set up on my desk. I couldn't do much because the room was very small, but whatever I could do, I did. So that to reduce that that glare on my on my screen, uh, light noise, the way your desk is positioned, whether your chair is comfortable or not, um, things like that. So these are basic ergonomics. But then you have the the level of being smart and outsmarting yourself. And this is the way. This is this is what you talked about. This is the biscuits in the attic um, approach, where you actually create you change your environment in a way that. Uh, it forces you to do what you want to do. It makes it easier for you to focus than it is to do whatever else you would rather do or makes it harder to do whatever, you know, getting distracted or procrastinating than to uh, makes work easier than 
the other thing. And, and this is this is the smart approach of behavioral economics. This is where you, if you're lazy, if you uh, have short attention span, if you have all these things you normally consider as being your weaknesses, when you can actually turn them into strengths and into something that will help you focus or exercise or eat healthier in a much easier way. That one about just using your common sense, like it's stuff like you, you mentioned cleaning up your desktop, like so not having loads of items on your desktop because you're seeing them all the time and they're distracting you. You know, maybe they're triggering that amygdala brain, that ancient brain, and they're actually getting you stressed and the cortisol levels are rising and therefore it affects your focus. But also I thought it was really, really interesting that you talked about you know, notifications and technology, but but there's lots of systems, there's lots of uh, access blocking software that we can use. And I, and I hadn't heard of some of them and they are fantastic. Um, yes, I don't use any of them. So this is the declaration of conflict of interest. I don't use any of them. Worse, I actually allow myself to get distracted. And this is, again, really it boils down to what works for you and the nature of your problem, what works for your personality, what works in your current system. Because, um, and this is something, another thing you mentioned, so things that provoke anxiety. So I've got all these things, if, if I can, I've got them hidden. I'm going through quite a stressful period at the moment. And I know there are days when no matter how much breathing exercises I do, how much, uh, you know, I try to, this is just anxiety, let's just focus on something else. It's very, very hard. And I have developed a system where I allow myself to get distracted. If I get too stuck in, uh, in that anxiety mode and I, I cannot turn it off, I allow myself to get distracted in order to cause that switch when I can turn it off and then jump into the, the focused mode. And But there really is, again, this is something that's built on years of experience and me knowing myself very well, where I also know that I will not get distracted for longer than a few seconds because I don't allow myself to get distracted for longer because the system I've got um, set up that does not allow me to get distracted for too long. Um, and if you know yourself very well, if you know very well what has worked for you and what has not worked for you, you can build it with all these little tweaks and, and then you can even use strategies that seem to be counterproductive or counterintuitive and you actually they, they work for you. So as I said at the beginning, if um, there is a lot, you said that there's a lot of... Um, internet access blocking software. If that works for you, great. Just remember that um, distractions, if we get distracted by the internet or things that happen on the internet, they usually, they usually just a symptom. So if you turn the internet off, there'll be something else that'll be distracting you. And very often, again, this is my own experience. This is my experience of working with other people. Um, this is this short attention span, this novelty seeking. It's actually very often at the bottom of it is the problem with instant gratification and delayed gratification. And that's something else. Okay, we get bored or we feel unrewarded. And that's something to deal with rather than, to, you know, if you need a tactic, if you need to complete that tax return before tomorrow, then by all means block your internet access. But if you need a solution that is um actually uh, effective long term, then you might need to look at the underlying problem, which very often in this case is um, 
delayed gratification problem. And either you're using the wrong um, motivation, intrinsic motivation, or uh, you have a delayed gratification problem and what do we do with it? And this is this opens up another conversation about either learning to delay gratification, which is a lengthy process, uh, but it's doable, or finding a way of actually satisfying your need to have that immediate gratification from time to time and still continuing to work on your long-term goal. You're so right. I always have the story in my head. When I have a problem, I always think of the story of you walk into your kitchen and this tap is overflowing, the sink is overflowing. Do you grab a mop or do you turn off the sink? And, uh, you know, for me, that that's that's one of these things you're doing here. So you're actually giving us both. You're going, look at your motivations, but here's a system also to, to start the ball rolling. But it'd be great to move on to sleep because this is something I massively struggle with is sleep. And it's not, I'm not actually, it's, you know, a lot of people think that's great and they're championing the fact that they're working so hard in entrepreneurship and all that kind of thing. I actually get creative at night and I write at nighttime and that's one of my challenges. And therefore I go to bed quite late and then I get up in the morning, go to the gym. But the more I've learned about the brain and the more I've learned about focus, I realized that that's a bit of a fool's errand. Yeah. Um, I'm like you, although I, I don't get creative at night. I am a morning person and I just so like, I, I really love getting up early in the morning for, for a variety of reasons. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my daughter is nine, so it's not that long ago. I went through a period of um, sleepless nights, as probably most parents can relate to. And even then, I was really struggling. I'm also uh, an introvert, and I need downtime. I need me time. I need time alone. And I was getting up earlier and earlier to build this time alone into my day at the cost, at the expense of sleep, so that I could, because that that was more 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 important. Um, and I think, I think as we as we grow older, the, it, it, it's harder to compensate for the lack of sleep because what happens with uh, um, sleep deprivation, this is what's called a sleep debt and it accumulates. So fortunately, once in a while you can have a longer sleep and you paid off your, your sleep debt. But if you don't, then you go into this chronic de- sleep deprivation mode where everything functions um so par it's it's no longer you you have to think about it as as a way of actually operating on a on a tank always half empty or half full or just running on reserve and you always have to think how you're going to manage it and it's much much harder i do believe that sleep is super important but i do realize that um as we grow older, we also collect a number of commitments and there are certain limitations, certain restrictions to our lifestyle that do not allow us to sleep however much we need. And it's that juggling, okay, so do I go to the gym in the morning because it's important? And this is, again, for focus, it's you need sleep. But you also need exercise because our brain evolved to uh, solve complex problems in, um, this, is, uh, this is a quote from John Medina's uh, uh, book, Brain Rules. Uh, our brain, this is, this is one of the key books that actually helped me, get, got me started on the sort of focus and how to, how to address it properly. So our brain evolved to solve complex problems in a constantly, in constant movement, okay? So exercise is is super is the best um 
the best uh, focus and memory booster that is out there. So really thinking, okay, I can exercise, but I will have to cut down on my sleep. I, I don't really have a, an answer. And it's always, again, I go back, this is always a, a solution that you implement in your current um, context. And you making a, a decision, you know, all that sort of uh, on the balance of what we've got, this is what I choose. And I, I, and I think it should stay individual. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because I lecture in Trinity College and the week I was doing my lecturing, I had five days of eight hours lectures a day and it was really, really intense. And I insisted myself to go to the gym every morning, regardless. And my morning is, it consists of get up 6am, meditate for half an hour in the gym for seven, start and do an hour's training, have a good breakfast and go. And it's the way I kind of see it and the way I visualize it, and this probably helps a lot actually, is it's like plugging in an iPhone and charging it for the day and then getting a full charge out of it because I find I really, really get a lot out of it. And if I, I really miss the training if I don't do it. But here's the thing, and and this is where both reading your book and I had that Dr. Larry Rosen on a few weeks ago and he was saying you just cannot mess with sleep. Sleep is so important. If you don't, you get brain plaque, you, you know, you get the possibility of brain plaque you get sleep deprivation, sleep debt, and all this kind of stuff. And and the naps that we have throughout the day just don't actually make up for that sleep. Yeah, sadly, uh, I agree. Sadly, I agree. I think uh, being older and being a parent, when you're actually pushed against the wall, it, it's, you, you have to face it. There's just no amount of telling yourself. When you're younger, it's easier, but there's just no amount of telling yourself, no, you can do it when you actually can't sleep deprivation is is a torture and joanna then about i mentioned purposefully the idea of of napping because you talk about this as well and maybe we'll, we'll finish up on this one is napping throughout the day and and also a culture of napping because i often think it's great to be told let's nap but then for example your colleagues are looking and they're kind of going aiden's, <laughs> aiden's having a nap during the day but it's actually a good thing but we don't allow it to be a good thing I think there's a, there's a, it's um, very cultural, uh, and I, I'm laughing because I'm thinking um, <laughs> I, I don't really want to bore you, but the whole the whole idea of living in France and really struggling with a with a long lunch break when they just go home for two hours is just. It just does not align with with my work ethics, and I struggle with it a lot. And although I do, on one hand, I do understand, and that this is very helpful. And I even I have used naps myself, um, and it's not even not just for the um, sleep deprivation, even for the sort of resetting of my brain. If if I if I'm very very upset, and there's no amount of distraction I can do to sort of do that brain reset reboot, um, and I go down for a nap, and that you know, uh, starts me afresh. But there is that social sort of disapproval um, attached to it. Although I see that there's, there's a lot of particular new um, companies trying to encourage um, short naps during the day. But then I find I find it very, I still find it very strange. It's just part of the so socialization process as we, as when we go to school, there's certain things that you just don't do. You can't just lie on your um, school bench and uh, I'm sorry I just need 20 minutes power nap now it's just don't you, 
you don't do that. And I think that it is hugely cultural and, and there is that um, cultural, if I may use that word, stigma attached to it. Like, what are you doing? What? You're sleeping at work? How on earth can you do it? And I think, again, this is something where if, you, if you're lucky enough to work in one of those modern companies, that do acknowledge the need and the benefits of it. That's great. If you don't, then yeah, you're not lucky. It's a really interesting one because you mentioned children there and this is, imagine we train children to do this. Imagine we train them to work in these periods. And, and, you know, I, I mentioned to you off air, I use the Pomodoro technique 25 minutes on five minutes off of my work. And I get through so much work because I single task massively during those those periods but I was like imagine we taught children how to do this imagine they were taught in school how to manage their attention and and manage their focus and also their energy throughout the day we'd have a totally different culture as a result yeah uh and if this could be done at school or at least what we it's just a lot of it's a lot of people becoming more people becoming more and more aware of the importance of these things and parents do teach the children do these things at home and then children go to school and uh, it's you know it's uh, badly received at school because that's not how we do things around here so it's really also depends on the school um as well and if it has become part of the curriculum uh so even if it wasn't taught at school but at least school accepted this is the way things we do things around here and we do them as, you know, in a similar way as kids are taught at, at home, that would be great. But I totally agree with you. It's that, okay, because we, it is a lot of things that we learn as we go and it's, you learn it on the job, you learn it yourself. And at some point you don't even realize that you've learned it. And, and it's not un, un, until your child is, it comes to you and says, mom, but how do I do it? And you think, well, you, you should be able to focus on it, but I can't. And I go and like, but you've got your radio on. Well, yes, but that helps me focus. And no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. And you, you just realize that it isn't something automatic. It isn't something that people just, you know, learn in their sleep or, or, or just like, you know, it's not like something that happens automatically. You have to put effort into it and young children without guidance, without help, without um, model, role models are not able to do that. Yeah. And it just goes back to what I was saying about, you know, turning off the tap, fixing the actual yeah. problem, you know, going to the root of the problem. Well, listen, Joanna, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It'd be great to understand a little bit more for audience who want to find out more about your work and your books, etc. where they can find you. Thank you very much for inviting me and again and um, it's been fun and i hope what i have said has been helpful if you want to find out more about uh, my work my books and my posts you can find them on my website www.theshapeshiftersclub.com uh, you can also find the um the quick action guide for my laser sharp focus book which can be used uh, with or without the book uh, just to help you diagnose the problem and find some quick solutions to your problem. 
You can also find my books on Amazon. You can find them on my blog as well. I've got all the links there. Laser Sharp Focus, Hack Your Habits, which is uh, talks a lot about building systems, which is uh, what I've talked a lot today. And the last book I have talked about a little bit is the Not Another Effing Motivation book. I don't swear in the book. Okay? <laughs> I don't swear in the book, but I do challenge some of the common, uh, this isn't a, a book, you can't find, uh, there's no single, or maybe one, but used in a, um, in a sarcastic way, um, motivation is only one motivational quote there used in a sarcastic way. Uh, so it is not a, a classic motivation book. Well, you're, you're on the right show for, uh, unconventional thinking. And, uh, it was, I was laughing when you were saying that that's not the way things are done around here. The greatest motivation and innovation killing words in the world author of laser sharp focus a no fluff guide to improved concentration maximized productivity and fast track to success joanna just thank you for joining us thank you very much for inviting me aiden